Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drbarrypierre.com, as well as the CEO of PR Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself with better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we bring you another amazing introduction to the lifestyle of a resident physician talking about burnout. This week, we bring you Dr. Kristen Smith, who is an ER physician. She is in her third year. She's got about a year left before she's out practicing for the world. And she's going to be talking to us today how an ER resident is dealing with burnout and stress of burnout in this day and age. Like I know we've talked, especially on the last couple of episodes, where we talked to a couple of medical students where we've kind of got their thoughts and their processes and their stresses associated with burnout. So I thought it was very poignant to say, you know what, let me bring someone who's in that mid phase, right? Someone who's completed the hurdle of becoming a medical student and actually is a resident. And let me hear their thoughts on what burnout was. And Dr. Smith does an amazing job just giving us her uh, personal thought process on what she expected at a residency and what actually happened when she got there. And, and she gave some amazing tips on how to deal with burnout, right? And I think we both kind of got to the point where we understood that, you know what, burnout is something that's probably going to happen. Um, for those who don't know, as an ER uh, physician, uh, as if you had to choose a specialty that probably deals with burnout the most, um, it's probably going to be ER physicians, right? In fact, we talked, we even dropped some facts as far as uh, when they did a poll on some ER physicians uh, just in their magazine, like how many have experienced burnout at least once? Almost two thirds of ER physicians said, yes, I have experienced burnout. This was in 2013. You best believe if we did that same type of poll in 2019, that number is going to be similar. It's not going to be less. So Dr. Smith gives us some great insight on the training uh, as an ER uh, physician and, you know, some of the stresses that she has had to deal with and how she's kind of helped manage uh, that stress. Remember, we don't deal with it. We help manage it. Right. So thank Shout out to Dr. Nicole from episode 124 uh, to kind of give us, you know, that enlightened um, in terminology associated with it. Right. So. Again, if you have not had a chance, again, start over to the series at episode 124, then kind of work your way here. Or uh, if you just want to start with Dr. Kristen Smith, this is a perfect episode to start with because, again, I think it will make you um, want to listen to the past three episodes so you can kind of you know, kind of follow along with the series on physician burnout. And like always, if you have not had a chance, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review, especially if you're an Apple Podcast user, and let us know how amazing this episode was, right? Because I think this is something that as a physician, as an attending, as a program director, um, it's very eye-opening to kind of hear the resident experience when we talk about burnout, right? So definitely excited uh, for you guys to hear that. And like always, remember if um, you're sharing this on social media, whether it be Twitter, whether it be Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're sharing it at, I'm likely there as well. Uh, so go ahead and throw me the mention and just kind of let me know and how I can drop a comment or like my show of appreciation. Uh, you guys have a great and blessed day and get ready for another amazing episode here on The Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry.
One of the sponsors for the Lunch and Learn Community Podcast is the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where you can find t-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, stickers, and wristbands with the motto, Empower Yourself for Better Health. Remember, 50% of all proceeds will go to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation, where we give out college scholarships to deserving high school seniors across the country. Thus far, we have given out over 20 deserving scholarships to students across the country. So again, 50% of the proceeds will be uh, blessed to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation. And today you can get the coupon code LUNCH20. You can get 20% off your purchase and you support these high school students across the country. Again, the Lunch and Learn Community Store is at shop.drbayerpierre.com and the coupon code is lunch20. All right, Lunch and Learn Community, you just heard another amazing introduction. Again, if you have been following along in this series, uh, Physician Brain, you know we've uh, kind of started a trend talking to psychiatrists on the subject. We had a couple of medical students really give their personal opinions and thoughts and feelings on this topic. And this week is, uh, you know, no, no different, right? We have a physician who's going to be kind of giving us the inside look of what a burnout consists of, but from the resident physician standpoint. And I, I think this is something that really doesn't get talked about a lot, like really like burnout does. Uh, but we're going to hear from a resident, Dr. Smith, who is about to, you know, kind of really kind of, you know, you know, give her inside considerations on such an important topic. And Dr. Smith, thank you uh, for joining the Lunch Learn podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So Dr. Smith, you know, I always start these things out. You know, I, re- I read your bio in the introduction. I got people who love to uh, skip that bio and go right to the meat uh, of the episode. Um, what would you tell someone who they're just walking into our conversation and they want to know, well, who is this Dr. Smith that maybe that maybe we can't find in your bio? Like what's something, you know, interesting, important, you know, strange, whatever, whatever you want to throw out there. Well, when people always ask me that, I'm always like, oh, you, you realize how boring you are, how boring you've become since you've gotten into medicine. But oh, um, yes. I guess <laughs> I would like people to know about me. I'm originally from Georgia. Currently, I'm uh, up in Philly for residency. Um, I just say that I kind of in my free time and I enjoy doing very regular activities, whether that be hanging out with friends, visiting some of the local museums, traveling if I can and when I can afford to, which is now uh, not that (laughs) often. (laughs) But, um, you know, just I enjoy regular activities, just any time outside of my scrubs outside of the hospital is nice. Um, I do have a previous background in research prior to going to medical school. Um, I did a lot of work uh, in terms of cultural competency and um, health care disparities in terms of uh, minority populations and disease burden for certain minority populations. So that's kind of my research interest and some of my interests in terms of how to improve emergency care for underserved populations. So that's really kind of where I come from in terms of my interests and kind of some of the things I like to do outside of work. Oh, I love that. And what, what year resident are you? I'm a third year, but I am at a four-year emergency medicine residency program. So EM programs can be either three years or four years. So I'm at a four-year program. So I'm a little bit more than halfway done. Uh, we're kind of half, almost halfway through, well, a little bit more than halfway through the third year now. So 
or no, I'm sorry. The first, if you want to right after that first quarter block. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So what well, what made you choose emergency medicine? If you mind, I ask. So, um, I just loved, I think a lot of people go into emergency medicine for many reasons, but my main reason was because I just loved the emergency departments. Um, when I was on other rotations throughout medical school, I liked like small pieces of every specialty that I saw. But when I finally got into the ER, I just noticed how much ER doctors are able to do. You have the acuity, you have variety of diseases, you deal with all types of patient populations. Um, You get to do a lot of procedures, whether it be small procedures like small lack repairs or INDs, all all the way up to bigger procedures, um, chest tubes, intubations. Um, And you really get to see a lot. So I really, that's what really drew me to emergency medicine. And and looking like me, I will tell you right now, uh, a lot of the reasons that she listed is probably the reasons why I did not go into emergency medicine. Um, <laughs> I, I just remember even when I was a, a medical student doing uh, my ER rotation, it was such a fast pace, you know, kind of get and go, get and go, get and go. Uh, that, you know, and of course I'm the, I'm the type I'm trying to ask, well, you know, what the history and how are you doing at home? And like, I'm trying to ask these questions. They're like, no, no, no. Like, is this person stable? Is Do they need to go upstairs? Like, is they're, they're trying to get up and move. And I'm sitting there trying to ask way too many questions, uh, <laughs> you know, delving in deep. So I knew right there. I was like, yeah, you know what? Emergency medicine might, might not be for me. Um, and that's why I went to internal medicine. I, I like the hospital. I do like the hospital setting. Uh, but you know, th- that emergency medicine physicians are a different type of breed. Uh, when it comes to just, uh, you know, being able to go from, you know, zero to 100 so quickly uh, and and sometimes doing that for like hours on end, which is, again, um, more power to you. You know, obviously we're going to wish you good luck. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I know, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, rotators who will come through who are like, I am, and they'll be like, I'll hear overhear them interviewing the patient asking like, well, what was your last A1C? And I have never <laughs> asked that before in my life, and I probably never will. So it's, uh, it's interesting, but everyone. Oh, yes. It for sure. So the, the, with the topic at hand, right, especially when we talk about physician burnout, like what, you know, what, what, what are some of your thoughts? Um, you know, just with the topic at hand, of course, uh, I think now with uh, the news being the way it is now, where it's becoming such a very popular uh, term to hear, uh, you know, in different variations, um, you know, as a resident physician, like what what do you think about it when you hear the term physician burnout? Right. Well, I think everyone experiences burnout. So whether you're a physician, whether you are a nurse or you're outside of medicine, accountant, every field I would say has some type of stressor and some type of stressor that makes you feel like at times you do not want to go back the next day. But I think in medicine, we obviously feel it a lot more because of just the nature of the job. Um, I do think it's interesting, and I think it's great that you had medical students on this podcast, because I remember in in medical school, we didn't really talk much about physician burnout. We did talk about wellness, but they'd usually be these, you know, once a semester lecture on wellness and 
what you can do to be well and, and very generalized. And I think, you know, even in residency, we do talk a little bit more about physician burnout because we are hearing this buzzword. There's articles everywhere and people are bringing it up more, but we still have most of our lectures and um, talks are really around wellness and they're always very like counterintuitive. So it'll be a wellness lecture at 7 a.m. And the individual is never a physician and they're always talking to you about, you know, how you can better structure your day so that maybe you can leave work early to go run that errand that you wanted to wait until the weekend, but maybe you can get it done during the week and how to make sure you fit in at least a 30-minute workout every day and how to get to bed before 10 p.m. Um, every night so that you can have your eight hours of sleep. And, and all of those things are really like, <laughs> they're not relevant for mm-hmm. us, you know? Definitely not for residents and often not for most attendings with given the schedule and the workload. Um, So I think that physician burnout is interesting in that I hope, I feel like physician burnout is kind of like the physician actually trying to take control of this wellness talk and to have more say in saying that, hey, you know, I don't want to hear about wellness from someone who really doesn't know what my work schedule looks like. I want to hear about it from individuals like myself and learn a little bit more about what they're doing to try to make their work-life balance better. Oh, I love that. I I really love that. Okay. That's a a quotable. That will be quoted uh, sometime this week, Smith. Um, (laughs) Okay. So, Obviously, I'm very interested, right? Because um, when we talk about burnout, if someone surveyed, you know, medical students, professionals, and they said, which is the specialty that's likely to deal with burnout the most? Most of them are going to say emergency medicine Um, to to the point where in 2013, uh, in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, it talked about how 65%, almost two thirds of ER physicians suffer from some form uh, of burnout. And I know you kind of talked about some of the, the, the pros of why you wanted to do emergency medicine. Um, but wh- why do you think just in general, um, a, a lot of burnout seems to happen to ER docs pretty frequently? Well, I think it has to do with multiple things. Um, just to kind of touch on what I spoke about earlier, the reasons why I chose emergency medicine, which was high acuity patients or cases, um, kind of seeing everyone, any patient at any time, and also having a variety of diseases that you'll be treating. Those things that draw you into emergency medicine are also what probably ends up causing burnout. It can be very stressful at times when everything is always new. You don't know what's going to come into the door. You may already have an intubated patient who's you know, an ICU player boarding in the ED because upstairs is full and you're waiting on a bed. So you have that patient there who needs more frequent check-ins, even though they're technically admitted. Um, You may have another respiratory distress on their way and you just heard it on the haste. Um, Patients with abdominal pain waiting on their CAT scan and they're upset with you because it's been two hours and they're still waiting. (laughs) why they haven't gotten their study. 
Um, and all these things kind of play into, and you also may have a lack of repair down, down the hall that you need to tend to, but you kind of let that fall by the wayside because you were dealing with all these other things. But having all of these variety of cases at the same time really does contribute to, to burnout. And then also just, you know, we interplay with a lot of the other specialties in a very unique way, which I think is great because we often have great relationships with all our specialists and where we're calling consults, but sometimes you do get the brunt of a specialist anger that day of why didn't you do this? Why didn't you think of this? Well, if I come to the ED, I want everything at the bedside and ready to do my procedure mm -hmm. or you know, why didn't you order this instead of this? This test versus or, that test. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and and, and lunchtime community, I could tell you, especially as a as a resident physician, um, I remember when we think about the ER, the ER is work, right? Like they're they're not calling mm -hmm. and say hi, they're calling and say, Hey, I have some work for you. Um, and right. it was a it was a relationship that definitely initially started out as animosity. Um, until yeah. one of my attendings kind of schooled me and educated me on the fact that no, like I'm getting uh, you know the benefit of being a part of someone's care, uh, and and that's a privilege. And, and once I really started looking at admissions that way, I didn't. Oh, I was okay. Me and the ER were friends, but I 100% I understand what Dr. Smith is saying right now uh, because usually when the ER doc is calling you, it's like, hey, I got some work for you to do. I need you to do some work, and I may need you to do it like ASAP, like not like right me in the morning like no I need you to wake up out your bed or come from wherever you're standing at and come come see me immediately uh, to do so exactly and we're very good at knowing what needs to be a call right now versus what can wait until the morning and I think sometimes when we're speaking to people they're not aware that we are we we know what we're doing if, if you will um, also you have this direct contact with patients families um, you know, oftentimes you're sitting at the desk and it's only a few feet away from the patient's room. You may be discussing something about another patient, um, obviously trying to re remain anonymous and not sharing too much, but a patient may overhear something and think that you're saying something negative about them and then it can become an argument. Um, and then you also have all these patient demands. I've had so many times when patients, you know, they don't want to talk to me. All they want is a blanket and some juice. Or when I get back with the juice, they're like ready to curse me out because they asked for a cranberry and I brought apple. Or there's all these things that are very unique. <laughs> to I don't mean to laugh, uh, but it, it, it's so funny because I know it's 100% true. I, I think that's what's so, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately comical about it because I know. Uh, they're literally doing that to y'all. So that's, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. And then, you know, you have these patient satisfaction scores, which those don't play into, especially as a resident, how I practice or anything. But all of these different levels of um, demands for your time and your attention ultimately can be very draining. And I think also, you know, our schedules in residency, it's a little bit different than as well, it's different than as an attending. You work more hours, more shifts. But we have a three, three, three type schedule, if you will. So we work three days, then we work three nights, and then we're off 
two and a half to three days, um, depending on how that falls. So it can be tough switching from days to nights and, you know, um, losing sleep on that swing day, if you will, can lead to you feeling very groggy. And there's just a lot to the ER that I think as a medical student and when you're on your audition rotations, you don't always get to feel or see those little nuanced things that can really cause burnout later on. What's, what's interesting, especially I think you touched on it. I definitely want to, you know, hit, hit home. Obviously as a program director, um, I'm in charge of my, my internal medicine residents uh, schedule. Um, mm-hmm. so, I'm, so I'm always very interested in uh, seeing the dynamic of how does a resident, you know, be able to kind of deal with that shift change. I know in, in medicine, um, you know, our program, we don't, we don't, they, they'll have like a week of days, maybe a week of nights and then a week of days, but they'll have like a one or two day to kind of just kind of adjust, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it's actually occurs much more frequently, especially in the ER uh, setting uh, where you just kind of just days and nights, days and nights. And again, uh, lunch learning community members understand that, you know, you're having to do this, but you're still having to be just as sharp, you know, in the middle of the day as you are at two o'clock in the morning. Right. right. Like, so I, I want you, I want you guys to think about like how sharp were you at two o'clock in the morning uh, when you were just up the day before, uh, just to kind of get an idea of, you know, the transition that um, our ER uh, physicians, especially residents, um, you know, have to deal with on the time and time. And this is, this occurs about every four weeks, right? Every four weeks or so you're changing a rotation. So it's not like you're even getting time to adjust because, you know, after four to five weeks, you're in a different whole rotation. Well, we do like, yeah, we're on a block system, so it's four weeks, um, and it, depending on, so we do a lot of, since we're a four-year program, we do ED blocks, and then we do a lot of ICU time, so most of our ICU blocks are mainly day schedule. Um, intern year, we have some nights, and then uh, for some of our ICU time, we have call shifts. But I would say most of our ICU time is mainly more a day schedule. So, and how did, especially as a resident, how did you deal with um, just the, these competing times and having to be uh, not only physically available but really mentally available during all of these shifting times as a resident? Well, I'm sort of lucky in a sense that I am. <laughs> I find it very easy to fall asleep. (laughs) So (laughs) it doesn't matter if it's day or night, I can probably fall asleep if I'm allowed to. So for me, that actually helps because I probably adjust a little bit quicker, if you will. Um, I'd say that it's, it can be difficult. I think that everyone does it a little bit different, but I try to, stay more on a day schedule, if you will. So um, our shifts, like you'll start out with the three days and then uh, you'll have your swing day where you kind of have 24 hours off. So meaning just for instance, if you got off at 7 p.m. on Monday, um, you wouldn't go back in until 7 p.m. on Tuesday. So you have a whole 24 hours off. Usually what I would try, I try to do is I um, will kind of fall asleep at a normal time. So whether that be like 10 or 11 at night, and then I wake up fairly early. So I'll try to be up by like six. Cause I was going to be up at least by six anyways, if I was on day shift. Right. So I'll get up 
And I'll try to do a little bit of studying, exercise, cooking, cleaning, whatever little errands I need to do. Um, and then I will try to go back to sleep. So by like one o'clock, I try to go back to sleep to get a few hours of sleep before I have to go in for my night shift. And then after that, I'm on kind of a night schedule where I work like we don't work 12 hour shifts, but just for instance, to make it simple, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So you get off at 7 a.m. If you have a few notes to finish, you may actually be leaving at eight. You may be home and showered and stuff and have eaten by nine. And then, you know, kind of, I usually sleep most of the day and then go back in for nights. So that's kind of how I try to structure it. There's different ways to do it. Um, if you Google online, you can have, you can see different people saying how they kind of structure their time, especially a lot of nurses kind of do this um, days and nights, more frequent shifts mm -hmm. than physicians do. So I find that reading some of their blogs and things is, is helpful in terms of how you can think about, well, what works for you. Another way to do it that some of my colleagues do, co-residents, is that they'll stay up super late on that swing day shift. So if they get off at 7 p.m., they'll stay up super late till like 2 a.m. the next day, and then they'll just sleep until their night shift. That's another way that you can do it. It just depends whatever works for you. But I think that tweaking it and being willing to change is really what you have to find. Because during first year, I was kind of like going back and forth. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And now I found that um, what I was talking about, the first way kind of helps me better. But Interesting. And so, so of course, you know, first of all, thank you for that. Cause I, I think, and, and you, you're definitely right. Cause I could tell you, well, once you, once you're an internal medicine attendant, you kind of choose whether you're doing days or mm -hmm. how you're doing nights, all of this, right. uh, this kind of, but, and I know as a, an actual ER attending, like you're, you're still kind of on that schedule it may not be as uh, rigorous uh, as far as, you know, three days, but it's still kind of like the flip flopping. Like, yeah, sometimes you work, seven in the morning, seven at night. Sometimes you work, you know, uh, 10 to 10. Sometimes you work 11 p. to 11. So it, it right. that, that those shifts definitely still are, are, are there. So uh, the fact that you, you guys are kind of getting training in, in that process uh, as a resident, is, I think is extremely important because, you know, unfortunately that's the, the, the real life scheme things of when you're a resident. I mean, when you're an attending. Right, right. So I got I got to ask. Obviously, the, the the most important question, right? Especially when we talk about burnout, we talk about this fluidity of experiencing burnout at different times. Um, have Have you ever uh, experienced, you know, any periods where, like, if you look back, you say, "Wow, maybe I was feeling kind of burnt out," um, you know, at that moment, or at that month, or at that week, or uh, or at that situation. Every day. No, I'm I'm kidding, but um. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not every day. Um, I definitely have times where I feel like I'm just, to me, for me, I know my burnout just feels like, even if I've had my days off, because usually days off are invigorating, right? You should be able to leisurely spend your time doing what you want to do on days off, in my opinion. So whether, especially I'm someone, I'm not married, I don't have kids, so I don't have some of those home responsibilities that other people have. So I'm in more control of my time outside of work. Um, 
so you should be able to sleep in a little bit longer if that's what you want to do. If you want to get more exercise, whatever you want to do, you should be able to kind of do it. Um, I've noticed that for me, burnout feels, I notice that I'm burned out when I've had those days off, but I'm still like, hmm, I'm still really tired. I'm still really drained, still feel very stressed, very wound up, and I can't seem to de-stress because usually after days off, you should, I feel a lot less stressed and I'm ready to restart, you know, my three, three schedule and, and go back to work, um, invigorated. And I noticed that I'm burned out when I don't feel that way. Um, and what do you do when you get, when you get that feeling? Usually, well, you still have to go to work. So whether or not you're mm. burned out, it kind of doesn't matter. You, you um, know what? And you know, what I love that you said that uh, because, and, and that, that's something I, I really try to hit home um, with a lot of people. Like just because physicians are out here feeling burned out. Um, it, the reality is, is that you're right. They still got to go to work. There's still a community of people. They have to unfortunately serve. Um, so, so unfortunately, the physician whose personal feelings may be like, yeah, I'm feeling down. I'm not, I haven't distressed yet. I haven't reset. I haven't done something yet uh, to, to make me, you know, want to jump for joy and run to the car to get to work um, because they, because, and I think it's just in our nature, uh, we understand the, the greater good is I got to take care of my patients. Um, because if I don't take care of my patients, I'm not sure who will. Uh, we, we still go and do it. So I actually love that you said that because it's, it's 100% true. Right, right. Yes, we we still have to go to work. Now, I do want to say a disclaimer. This is my feelings of burnout are different than if you are feeling very depressed or you're having thoughts of self-harm. That's something that I would say is different or to the very extreme of the burnout continuum that you should definitely call out and you should definitely seek help and and seek counsel with others and and talk to someone. Um, But my burnout is just, I feel like, you know, after the, the days off, I don't feel quite de-stressed, if you will, but I still have to go to work. So usually I'll go or I always go, but, um, usually I try to do more small. So usually if I have to work, I have a trouble finding a lot of time to do things that I like to do outside of work when I'm, when I have a work day, just from like finishing up charts or emails or whatever, or cer- certain things like that. So when I notice that I still feel burned out, I try to do, you know, I'll set aside 20 to 30 minutes of my day and make sure that, okay, I am not going to feel guilty about not doing my reading or the questions I was supposed to do or what have you. And I am going to go for a walk. doesn't have to be I'm running or anything. It's more of a walk to clear my mind. Or I'm going to call that friend who called me a few days ago, but I was at work, so I didn't get to talk to her or him. Or um, watch something on TV or do something that may be out of the ordinary of what I would do with my normal day, but to try to do something for myself when I feel that I'm more burned out. I also find that talking to your co-residents like within your program is really helpful because usually if you, if you talk to someone else in your program, they feel exactly how you do. Or if they don't feel it right now, it's only because they're on 
a little bit of an easier rotation and they'll feel that way again in a week or so. It's coming. Um, like <laughs> Exactly. It's coming. Everyone has their, it's ebbs and flows to this. And then um, also talking to, I say you should talk to kind of three to four sets of people, but your co-residents, because they likely feel exactly how you feel. And then also sometimes you need to vent about certain situations that you're residency or certain people mm-hmm. and only that's, that's, that's they okay. know it's okay people. sometimes you gotta talk about a program director too <laughs> not to <laughs> offend you i'm sure no one ever talks bad about you but those other program directors um yes. so <laughs> sometimes you do you need to vent and only people in your program really know what you're going through or really understand what you're talking about when you talk to your spouse or your best friend you can try to tell them what's going on, but they never fully get it because they're not working in the same condition that you are. They're not at work with you. Um, also talking to other residents in the same specialty. So I have friends at other EM residency programs and we talk and it's just to compare like, oh, do you feel burned out? What do you do? What does your program maybe do a little bit different that ours doesn't do? Um, and I've noticed also it helps because every single friend of mine that I've talked to, I mean, it's all anecdotal evidence, but every single EM resident I've spoken to always says that they just want to do EM 50, 50, meaning 50% clinical time and 50% some other magical job that they're still trying to work out in their mind, whether that be more administrative role, research role, business what have you. And I think it's interesting because that's a fairly, it's quite a few people who do not want to do a hundred percent clinical time, which I think is interesting to me in terms of with physician shortages, only um, estimated to get worse. How, how will that affect the shortage and things like that? Um, And then also talking to friends in other residencies and other specialties because you'll see that a lot of things are just generally the job of medicine and then also talking to your friends who are outside of medicine because when you talk to them some some people have you know very similar experiences as well but they're often coming at it from a little bit different angle so what are some tools that they use at their workplace or in their free time to kind of reduce their stress levels so i think just trying to talk to different people really does help because everyone deals with burnout differently and getting some new ideas for what you can do when you feel burned out is always helpful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. I think that's uh, I think extremely important, uh, you know, because it, we, we do, I think, I think a lot of times, especially, especially for my thoughts for burnout, I think a lot of times we, especially as physicians, we internalize so much um, mm-hmm. that we take on such a burden. And Mm -hmm. because the way we've been kind of taught and, you know, brought up in this process of medicine uh, where we we don't let people know, you know, when we're not, you know, 100 percent, when we're not, you know, killing it, we we don't let people know. So we kind of let it eat up inside. So having multiple, you know, different people and groups to kind of just say like, hey, this is what's going on with me. Let me just let you know. uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's extremely important. Uh, because, because especially, especially as a resident, right. But as, as a physician and really just anybody in general, right. We tell our own patients like, Hey, you know, if you're feeling, you know, down, if you're not feeling yourself, 
um, you know, you should really talk to somebody. But when it comes to physicians, we don't do that. And we, we let it, you know, we let it build, 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 build until, um, you know, the problems arise uh, from that standpoint, which, which I think is fortunately sad. And I think it is definitely aided um, into it. Again, I'm in, I'm academic medicine as, as obviously as a program director. And, and I, I, I see the trend. Right. I see it as from an internal medicine standpoint, I see most of my, um, you know, my, my residents, you know, wanted to do jobs that don't really require them to, you know, you know, be at work 80 hours a week because they know it's crazy. And they were like, no, I'm never going to do this again. And, and I, I sometimes wonder, uh, is our system of training, you know, aiding to that? Right. Like, is our system of training aiding to the fact that people want to do 50 and 50? Like they want to like, yeah, I want to still do this clinical, keep up my, you know, my skills. Uh, but I'm, I'm not trying to like go full on clinical where y- y'all try to run me to the ground. Right. Right. And I, I'm always interested because when you talk to older physicians who've been practicing for a long time and went to residency when they were kind of like no work hour restrictions, mm. <laughs> they always say we're soft, you know, like you guys are soft. We used to sleep here. We didn't even have apartments. We had to walk here and snow or whatever, whatever they say. And, you know, there's this idea that we're soft and things like that. And I'm wondering, some of it is just, you know, historical alternates, if you will. You forget what it was like when you were there and how, how bad you really felt. But also now it's more acceptable to say that you feel burned out and things like that. But I do think that things have changed in some senses. There's more protocols. There's, you know, the EMRs. There, there's a lot more oversight, I think, in medicine. And I think sometimes that makes a lot of people feel somewhat resentful a lot of times because oftentimes the oversight is coming from people who have much less clinical and clinical experience than you and less education. And it can feel that you have spent you know, almost a decade in school, if you say four years medical school, three to four year residency, and then ultimately you're getting emails that, oh, you didn't fill out this sepsis bundle correctly and the patient didn't get their antibiotics, which is important for patient health and things like that. And I know studies show that following these protocols are important, but it also sometimes can be upsetting because you feel like I've spent so much time. And even at the end of the day, I don't have the autonomy or the flexibility that I really thought I would or would like. And you're very highly trained. So I think it's just, it's interesting. Oh, definitely believe it. And it's so funny. And because I work in a hospital, I've gotten so many of those types of emails. Um, (laughs) Yes. Hey, you didn't order the echo and you didn't, you didn't add the aspirin within 24 hours. And, you know, it, it took you more than 30 minutes to put the admission order in after the ER called you. Like, so I, I, I am right there. Right. right. <laughs> and by the way, oh, you had a code at that time. That's why you were delayed with the admission orders. But we don't know that. We're just going by the clock. And- mm-hmm. that's, that's a question. As a resident. Right, especially especially going in, right? You knew you you had an idea. Yes, I want to do emergency medicine, uh, especially as a medical student. You know, wide eyed, bushy tailed. Um, and, and then before you got into residency, and even when you got there, first got there, um, 
were you kind of prepared uh, to deal with the stressors that they eat that, that especially being as a third year now that you've kind of faced like was that something that you had mentally prepared or was it something that the program itself said hey, hey you know this is what you're going to experience as an ER resident let me just let you know and this is some ways that you need to deal with it no um were the expectations were your, were your expectations lower like you thought like okay yeah I know ER is gonna be hard but then you walked in there like whoa whoa I didn't realize it was gonna be like like this hard Yes. I, I, I think, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be hard, but I don't think you realize how hard it will be and just all the things that you will see. And, um, I think the program tries to prepare you. They do certain like lectures on dealing with a difficult patient or breaking bad news. And those are, are good, but they're always very general. and. Because I think they're general, right? Because they're hard topics. You know, what do you do when, unfortunately, a patient coded in the ED and you weren't able to bring them back and they passed away and family comes in and they're super upset. And no matter what you try, they can't, you're not able to calm the family or to calm them down. That happens. Usually in the difficult patient encounter, that's the scenario. And then, you know, you give a good speech twice, maybe, and then they're, everything's all good. They've quite, they've calmed down, they've quieted down, you're able to get everyone on the same page, and everything just goes back to normal. But that's not how things happen in real life sometimes. So I think that having simulations and training people on these difficult topics is difficult. But it's something that I think that just in general, programs could do better. And I think that my program's pretty good. They try to do um, different talks on these difficult subjects, but I think it's one of those things, unless you're in that situation or moment, it, it can be very difficult. I 100% agree, and I can tell you, especially as a program director, I, I am constantly trying to find uh, ways to you know, I- improve uh, a situation that I already know is tough, right? That I already know is difficult. Um, right. And, and, and figure out ways, because again, I, I think this is uh, something that as a, as a, as a person who's in academics, uh, understanding that, you know, we, we are playing a role uh, in, you know, how our residents, you know, deal with just life stressors in and of itself because of the amount of stress we put on them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm always listening and thinking about tips and just really just kind of talking to my residents just to say like, Hey, how are you doing? I just want, I just want to know how you're doing. I don't even, I don't even care if you don't know how to treat CHF right now. Like just tell me how you're doing just to make sure, uh, we, we we're taking care of you as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Now, Which is be, good. yeah, no, again, I, I think it's important. And again, I think especially this topic alone and really just kind of talking with, you know, you know, everyone we've talked to so far in the series, um, has definitely been eye opening for me. Uh, as a program director, because I'm sitting there writing now and I'm taking tips. I'm like, okay, all right, I got to make sure I, I, I let me ask the residents if they're feeling this way too, because again, it's something that, you know, if you never ask, right, because it's such a mm-hmm. difficult conversation, if you never ask, you never know. And if you never know, how can you actually, you know, you know, truthfully, uh, you know, try to, you know, you know, solve a, a problem uh, if, if you act like the problem isn't as big as it really is. And be, so before I let you go, right, because first of all, I want to, you know, thank you because it's been absolutely amazing discussion. 
Um, and we, we talked about some of the tips to kind of help, uh, you know, just residents in general, right? ER, ER residents, definitely for sure, right? Like I said, I, again, I, I feel, not feel for y'all, but like I do kind of feel for y'all uh, because I know, um, the, and again, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me just kind of give you an idea. Uh, at least in our program, I, I have a, we're, we're at a smaller hospital. I'm, I'm not sure how big a hospital is, but our program, I know when I talk to my ER physicians, they say they may sometimes see like 50 to 60 people a, a shift. And I'm like, I'm going crazy. I got to see 30, right? Right. So imagine you're seeing 50, 60, a shift, you know, three times, uh, you know, multiple days in the week, multiple, just, just on top of that, on top of that. And, mul- and it's from kids to adults. It's low acuity, high acuity. Like those are just, that's a different stress level that's kind of bouncing up and down. Um, and, and again, I, that's why I applaud you know, that my ER physicians, uh, and obviously my ER residents, because I, I understand, like, I know y'all take a beating down there. Um, and again, yeah, cause y'all don't call me with every admission, right? Y'all only call me for people who need to be admitted. Right. So that don't even include all the people who you, you saw, you took care of, you, you triage, you said, all right, you're good to go, uh, back to your PCP's office. So you don't need to be in this hospital. So, uh, you know, definitely want to thank you. Uh, and, you know, for your work and, you know, we, obviously we want to make sure we wish you all uh, support uh, for this, you know, next, you know, year and three quarters that you got left. Um, and thank it's you official, uh, that you're attending. Right. Um, and hopefully that it gets better. Right. I'm going to I'm going to find out because, again, uh, in, in our series, the end of our series, we're actually going to be uh, interviewing an ER physician uh, attending. So I'm definitely interested yes. to see if it gets better. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be definitely <laughs> listening in to, to hear how much better my life will be. That's, that's what we're hoping. <laughs> so I know we talked about, you know, making sure you're talking to lots of different people, help having someone to kind of vent out, um, you know, your frustrations or your, even your not even frustration, maybe just your concerns or really just about your day. Right. Uh, again, we're, we're one of the few professions that, you know, it's sometimes difficult to talk to people about our day because our day, you know, you know, my day may include, yeah, I had to send like two or three people to hospice. And like my day, you, I, unfortunately, I can't really talk about my day because sometimes I can't give you the details. Legally, I sometimes can't give you the right. details, right? Like we didn't even talk about the legal, but just the schematic standpoint. Um, I may not want to bring that level of, you know, uh, you know, stress to you saying like, yeah, I had to code three people and two of them didn't make it. And so I understand that. Uh, but I, I love the fact that you say, you know, make sure you have lots of you know, people to talk to, don't, you know, seclude yourself, uh, you know, um, um, while you're in this training process. Um, you talked about, I know you said sleep, sleep is a big one for you, right? When you talk about just like, if you had to give tips to other residents and making sure that they're, you know, trying to avoid, you know, what sometimes may seem inevitable as this burnout process is. Definitely sleep. Um, everyone needs a different amount of sleep as well. So there are some people who are just amazing and they can make it off of four hours a night. And I don't understand those people. I'm definitely more towards the eight hour need more of that situation, at least, at least six to even feel normal. So listen to your body. If you need sleep, then you need to figure out how you can try to schedule some of the time once you get off work in order to get the sleep you need. Because that can really just change everything. Some days, if you are sleep deprived, things that usually would not stress you out, stress you out. Um, so I think that's important. Sleep, making sure, like you said, do not seclude yourself. Talk to someone, talk to everyone, you know. 
Um, you don't want to obviously get yourself into any legal trouble, but you can often talk about your cases in very general ways or just talk about how you're feeling. Um, also, talking to your attendings or your senior residents if the case doesn't go right. I think that's something that I didn't really touch on, but especially being in the ER and in all fields, in all areas of medicine, but especially in the ER with such high acuity, sometimes things don't go right. Sometimes you place the central line and you did everything right and it still didn't go in the right spot. Or sometimes, um, you know, I mean, you sometimes, had to it- sometimes you started the fluid, you gave the antibiotics, yeah. you did, you did everything exactly. and the you patient still right. doesn't leave the room. Exactly. And the patient does not get admitted and they don't leave the hospital because they were just at a point that unfortunately you were not able to intervene to improve their health. And, you know, not everyone is religious. I understand that, but I am religious and I do believe that a lot of what we do is not finally decided by us because you can see so many patients come in who look fine and then they don't leave. Right. Or so many patients who come in and you're like, they look dead at the door, like not to be too frank or callous, but they do. And then they somehow leave the hospital and they're doing okay or what's okay for them. Um, So I think making sure that you talk to people, especially your senior residents and your attendings, if a case doesn't go right, because that can make you feel very guilty and you just need to know that you're not alone. Um, And then also, I would say probably one, two other points, find something outside of the hospital that you like to do, not reading, not studying, but something I'd say really two things. One thing, physical, um, and I'm not an athlete or anything like that by any means, but something physical, whether it just be like light walks or hikes or whatever, or just getting outside and sitting outside and relaxing. And then something that is more like purely fun and really not that educational, whether it be watching a silly show on TV or reading romance novels or something of that nature that you like to do that takes you totally outside of medicine and outside of feeling like you always have to think. And then lastly, um, kind of going back to that, uh, there's a saying thief or comparison is the thief of joy. I may not have said that exactly right, but um, I think that you have to be very careful when you compare yourself to others, whether it be you know, you're scrolling Instagram and you see, cause kind of like, um, these medical blogs are kind of like really hot and, and, uh, hot topics and people are doing all this medical blogging, which is awesome because they make medicine look so fun. Right. But you don't see, no one's posting when they lose a patient. Um, no one's posting when they left the hospital four hours after their shift, because They had a code come in right at the end of their shift and they were working on that patient for two hours and couldn't get the patient back. And then they had to call family, call the ME, do all these things. And they left four hours later than they should have. No one posts the negatives. And I think you always have to keep that in the back of your mind because you can start to feel like, oh, 
I feel like I work so hard. I feel like I'm always burned out. What are other people doing that I'm not doing? And oftentimes it's not that they're doing anything different or they feel anything, anything different from how you feel. It's that what they're choosing to show you are the highlights and the happy times. And you have to realize that obviously just in general in life, there's good and bad. And especially with residency, there's good and bad. And you're going to have some bad days, bad weeks even. And um, those are those times when you really have to make sure that you're staying up on your sleep, staying up on doing activities outside the hospital and keeping up with friends and family. Because at the end of the day, residency is temporary. It's a temporary amount of time. I know when you were in medical school, you thought medical school would never end and it ended. And, you know, you may have had some bad times in medical school, but you got through them. And residency, I try to remind myself it's temporary and I may have bad times, bad days, things that don't go well. But at the end of the day, it's a finite amount of time that you need to get through. So those are kind of my takeaways. I love it. I love it. And especially, especially that one point, because honestly, again, and I, I've said this before, I said it publicly. I think the the older physicians who are always like, oh, you guys are soft and da da da, because they call mm-hmm. me soft. Because I'm, I'm young too. I guess I, I've been out <laughs> right. like because I've been I've been out like five years, but like I got residents older than me, right? So and it, and right, it's, it's right, a, it's a crazy crazy dynamic. But when I when I hear from older older attendings, um, I always tell them, I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe if y'all told us like how you know crazy it is over here, right? You know, maybe we would have been prepared too. Uh, and I think they're the I think they're the biggest culprit at not saying really how bad stuff is um, right? just having us walk into it and are now getting kind of upset because we're calling it out. Right. Like, so I, I, you know, I, I always, I always tell my older uh, attending colleagues that cause I say, well, you know, if y'all would have told us how bad this was, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe y'all should have <laughs> took care of this. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe y'all should have had like work hours back then, but y'all are so scared. And, and now we got to deal with, True, true. But they they needed more people to replace them. So if you tell all the bad things, then the, then you have no one who will mm-hmm. be doctors. So you're but right. Yeah, <laughs> we are privileged though to do what we do. So you know, I love and, and that's why again that's why I once once my attending you know he kind of he kind of educated me and said you know what like it's it's a privilege right to you know take care of patients It's a privilege you know to be a part of someone's care. Right. That's when my ER and IM animosity like re- pretty much disappeared. I'm like, oh, you know, you're right. You're right. Why, why, why am I tripping for it? Like, I'm good. Like, they're, they're, again, especially because it's not difficult. Right. It's not, you know, and that's why I don't give I don't give my ER doc. I'm, I make sure not to give my ER docs a, whole, a hard time. And so, OK, all right. So what are we doing? What do you want to do? What are you thinking? Oh, OK. All right. I'll take care of it. And it's, that, that way, Because I, I, already, I already understand that I'm probably going to be one out of the 10 calls they got to make that hour, right? And I'm probably going to be the nicest person that they have to deal with because, you know, the ortho guys don't want to come down and gen surgery really wants to know that they really have to come up. But I already understand that's these. That's definitely, uh, you know, something I, I'm very aware of. Uh, well, so we appreciate just, it. I appreciate it as well. I appreciate I love, I love my, uh, again, I, was, I stress, I love my ER docs. I, I, know how, I, I know how hard y'all work because I know I would never do it. <laughs> I would never do it. Not, like I get nervous when I walk down there. I said, "I right, just please, let me just get my admission so I can walk out this." Because just being in that, just being in the vibe of an emergency room, and again, I'm an internist. I work in the hospital, and I'm like, oh, "Right, I gotta get out of here." It's it just it just feels like too much work's down here for me. <laughs> 
Well, we often like talking to you all because it's like, oh, honestly, I didn't think of that. I'll go ahead and add that test on or, oh, you know, that is a good point. Or, you know, you may have taken more time to look through the chart and see that they have an old echo and this was their EF then and this is it now. So I think, you know, we, we don't work in silos. We work as teams. So it is very appreciated. So Dr. Smith, before we let you go, where can others like, you know, I always, always stress one. I love the fact that especially in this day and age, social media is, uh, you know, kind of locked into medicine, right. And just our mind is in training. Um, where can others find you? Right. They want to say, you know what? I love hearing Dr. Smith's voice. Like I want to follow her journey when she finally becomes an ER attending and life is so much greater for her. Like, where can they follow you? Let, let them know. <laughs> in a fantasy land because I hope <laughs> hopefully it, I know it will get better um I can they can find me on Instagram um my Instagram is dr.kjsmith so Instagram is one way to find me um you can also find me on Twitter although I don't post that much on Twitter but it's uh Kristen J Smith D.O. And then um, if anyone has any questions or wants to connect, um, you can always DM me on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way. I love it. I love it. And again, thank you again. We always uh, appreciate when our physicians and colleagues or whatever, just, or whatever our guests come in and take the time to really you know, help educate the lunch learning community. It's always appreciative. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join us this week. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of The Lunch Learner, Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today. If you have not had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe to the show if this is your first time listening. If you already listen and you've already subscribed, make sure to leave me a five-star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is. And if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes, always head over to lunchlearnpod.com. That is lunch learn pod all in one word.com and you can get the access to my show notes for every single episode but especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed bye